What's going on, guys? This is the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, Q&A number nine, part two, because there's about 300 questions, and I've broken it up into like hour-long segments and kind of releasing them on my YouTube channel when there is a lull in other action. So um, I wanted to get to these questions. I got about an hour here. I'm going to set the timer for an hour, and we're just going to go. My answers might be a little shorter because I'm trying to get to more questions, but I'll still try and be as detailed as I can. All right, so let's hit start. All right, first question comes from Kayvon Kazimi, and he says, what's the smartest way to come off gear? Um, well, I don't know what the smartest way to come off gear is. I can tell you what I used to do, which is I may taper one last week. The last week of my stack, I would taper that week off, and I would take one or two weeks without anything and then I would start my HCG protocol. So everybody has a different way of doing this. My way was always HCG for 10 to 14 days, thousand IUs of HCG, HCG. Then uh, I'd run some Nolbidex at the same time as that, usually 20 milligrams a day. And then about 10 days into that, I would start Clomid at 50 milligrams AM, 50 milligrams PM. Now, that was what I did. Whatever you do is going to be totally dependent on uh, your age, your, 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 how big your cycle was, how long you've been on, like uh, how experienced you are, user, all these things are going to matter. So don't just, I'm not recommending you do what I do. I'm just saying this is what I did to help me go out, come off when I was cycling through. And this is uh, it's pretty standard. It's a pretty standard way of doing it for most of the people I've talked to in the industry. Wang D. Kev says, when beginning a bulk, how many calories do you add in the first week? Like, do you jump straight into it or do you ease into the diet slowly? Um, again, like my last answer, I think this is going to be very dependent on the person. If you have a good appetite, you can do it my way. If you have a medi mediocre appetite, you might have to build up. If you have a weak appetite, you're going to have to work really hard at it. Um, so with me, my appetite is pretty good usually, so I can just jump into, like I can take my base caloric intake, which is around, it's around uh, 3,500 calories, 3,400 calories, you know, depending on your workload, but mine's around 3,400 calories. So I can go right to 4,000 calories tomorrow. I can be on a diet that I was eating 2,500 calories and I can go right to a 4,000 calorie diet and I can consume that food without hitting any type of appetite wall. Okay. So that's the important thing. It's not, I don't necessarily care if I've gained a percentage two, three, four, five of body fat. For me, it's, is my eating, is the food going down or did I add too much food and now it's completely killed my appetite? As long as you're taking the food in and you're not, it's not, your appetite doesn't seem to be slowing down. I would go straight to uh, a surplus of calories and stay there and just grow into it. Now, if you've gone to a surplus of calories and you just seem to be gaining weight consistently and it's not good weight and you're getting fatter and fatter and fatter, you've added too much of a surplus. Okay. So the way I like to do it is I usually go 500 calories or a thousand calories max over my basal metabolic rate. So if my daily needs are 34, 3,500 calories just for training and eating and sleeping and resting, I usually add another 500 to 1,000 calories on top of that. And then I just ride that out and see how long I can go. Now, I don't, if I don't gain weight, I don't just keep adding calories. I will eventually add more calories. You know, I've been up to five or 6,000 calories a day at some points in my off seasons, but I give it time. So if you, let's say your daily metabolic rate is 3,000 calories, I would go to 3,500 and start there and see how you feel. If you just keep eating and eating and eating, and if you get more hungry, bump it up, 37.50. Keep doing that. If you stop gaining weight, bump it up, 4,000. Now, your body composition matters. If you're gaining weight and you're looking worse and worse and worse, don't increase the calories, okay? If you're gaining weight and your body looks pretty good and it's not getting, you're not getting fatter, you're getting overall bigger, go run with it. Just keep going. So, all, there's a lot of different factors that go into how you're going to bulk and everything. Now, if you're not, uh, if you, if you have a, 
if you have an appetite that's kind of softer, it's not like, you know, you're not great at eating. You want to go even lower than that. So if your daily needs are 3000 calories, you want to go to like 3,200. And if you're really bad at eating, you want to go to like 3,100 and go to that 3,200 mark. Once you get used to the 3,200, go to 34, 36, 38, et cetera, et cetera. And if, like I said, you have a really bad appetite, just bump by hundred. You just want to make sure you're in a surplus. You want to make sure you're in a surplus because you want to make sure when you're training, the muscle is fed. Okay. That's, that's the whole premise behind the, the, the surplus and the deficit bullshit. That whole argument to me, it's not really an argument. If I'm training and I'm beating up my muscle, I want to have a surplus of calories available to feed the muscle. Okay. So let's say, for example, my muscle needs 3000 calories to survive. Sorry, I got a runny nose. Um, if I'm eating 2,900, is my muscle missing out on 100 calories? Is, it, is, is my body going to take that 100 calories from somewhere else to keep me alive and keep me healthy and keep me surviving the way I need to survive? I don't want to take it from anywhere else. I want to be in a surplus so that the muscle is fed, all the systems in my body are fed, and it can grow and recover and repair. So like I said, so if your appetite is really bad, just go up 100 calories, 3,000, go to 3,100. Do that until you feel good at 3,100, then go to 32, then go to 33, then go to 34. And that's how you train your body to eat more food. I couldn't eat 6,000 calories when I started. You have to train your body to do these things. And every off season that passes, oh, you know what, last off season I did 4,000. This year I'm going to try 4,500. It would suck and I would be uncomfortable and you'd be nauseous and you'd get a little chubbier than you want to get and you'd be bloated but your body would grow into the weight and you get used to eating the food. Oh, okay. 4,000 wasn't too bad or 4,500 wasn't too bad. You know what? That off season has gone this year. I'm going to try 5,000 and you bump to 5,000. And again, you go through the nauseousness and the, and the uncomfortable feeling and the sweating and I can't tie my shoes. And now if I eat 5,000 calories, I'm comfortable. It's almost like maintenance in the off season. It's not maintenance. It's a surplus. Don't get me wrong but it doesn't affect me. If I go to 6,000 calories, then I'm sweating. I'm having trouble tying my shoes. I'm nauseous. I can't sleep properly. But those phases don't mean you're doing it wrong. Those phases are your body growing into itself, like the new muscle, the new tissue. It's what you need to do to get that, to break that plateau. And we're not talking about five pound plateaus. I'm talking about a guy who starts at 200 pounds like I did. I was 192 pounds at my first show. If that guy wants to get to 260 pounds on stage, like I do, you're going to put on a significant amount of muscle. You're going to have to go through some uncomfortable periods of growth. And that means eating a ton of food and making it even more uncomfortable than you could imagine. Now, even if you want to be a men's physique guy and you're 180 pounds and, and you know, the men's physique guys are pretty big, you're going to be 220 on stage. That's still 40 pounds of muscle. If you try and walk that line and stay lean every year, you may only put on a couple of pounds of muscle every year. Well, when do you plan on being a pro? Like when you're you know, 45, you still want to get there as fast as you can. Okay. So surplus of calories increase slowly or increase fast, depending on your, your appetite. Dame. Demo JB says, how will you change your training as you get older? I'm pushing 50 and I've started to get, going a bit lighter to avoid injuries. Uh, I'm not ready to get there yet. I think uh, like you when I'm 50 or when I'm not competitively bodybuilding anymore, I will turn to more intensity techniques like uh, forest reps and rest pause and supersets and a lot more drop sets and things like that. Whereas before it was just brute force and I'd go in and squat five plates and bench press four plates and leg press 15 plates aside and stuff like that. And that would cause me to grow. And I don't, I don't personally think there's a replacement for that. So if you lighten up the weight and this is an ongoing debate again, and I'm sure somebody's going to disagree with me and that's fine. But if you lighten up the weight, your body's going to change. You're not going to have that same full crazy feeling when you were squatting five plates or bench pressing four plates as you do when you're 50 and you're like, well, I'm going to try some supersetting now. And I still got a really good pump. It's not the same. And you may maintain the mass for a little while, but eventually you're going to see it dwindle away because nothing can replace that heavy weight. So 
the answer to your question is try and employ more intensity techniques, more supersetting, more drop setting. Um, I still try and go heavy where I can. And it involves a lot more warm up sets. And it also involves a lot more uh, protection gear like knee sleeves and knee wraps and elbow sleeves and things like that. But if you can lift heavy, you have to keep lifting heavy. And if you can't, then you have to do what you can to tax the muscle at, at its, in its most extreme form. And I found that personally rest pause sets do the most for that. So let's say for those of you who don't know what a rest pause set, it's let's say you're doing three plates on the bench or two, let's say two plates on a bench is hard for you to, to get 10 reps with. If I'm doing a rest pause set and I'm trying to get the most out of my bench, I'm going to put the two plates on there. I'm going to do the 10 reps. I'm going to fail at 10 reps. I'm going to rack the weight. I'm going to wait five to 10 seconds. I'm going to unrack the weight and do it again. It's a failure, whether you get four or five, whatever. And then I might even do that again. I might rack the weight again, take another five second, 10 second rest, and then knock out three or four more. Those types of sets are what's replacing the heavy, heavy benching and stuff like that. So you can try and employ some of that stuff. And also another, another key to longevity is doing the heaviest compound movement at the end of your workout. I've noticed that too. So like if I'm shoulder, if I'm training shoulders, I might start with my rear delts, then my side delts, then my front delts, and then I'll finish with military press. Cause by then the shoulder is so worn out that I don't need to, I don't need to military press three plates. I can military press two plates and get, tax the muscle just as much so you have to start to kind of like figure these things out because there's got to be a replacement for the heavyweight wherever it's possible jorge ramos mo says how do you recommend competitors in the amateur class apply the tan to achieve a nice look on stage you know nowadays it's a lot easier you just pay the tanning people my suggestion pay the tanning people i know some of you don't have a lot of money but it's important. It's your presence on stage is important and your look, your color is your color can be the make or break between first and fifth. So I would pay the 140 bucks or 150 bucks or whatever it is and get the tanning people to spray you do a double coat of spray. And I always, always believe in getting a tan beforehand. So I'll start tanning four to six weeks out and I'll get a good base color. And then when they put the tan on, they don't have to put tons and tons of tan on because I have a good base to my skin. Um, that's the best way to go. Back in the day, it wasn't like that for us. It wasn't so readily available where you could just, any, any show you went to, it was spray tanners. Back in the day, I'd have my training partner or my wife or whatever rolling the paint on with a roller and uh, rolling the tanning paint on. And it's, it's a nightmare when you're dehydrated and you're car bloating and you're exhausted and you're standing in the shower for like an hour and a half while they're in like every nook and cranny between your legs. And all. it's just pay the spray tanning people. They do it in 10 minutes. Your color will look way better than if you try and do it yourself and save yourself the hassle. Dio Gollops says, in your opinion, what are the best prospects for the Mr. O open class in the next five to 10 years? Keep up the great work. Um, well, it's hard to tell, man. You know, bodybuilding is kind of a, it's a weird sport because, or weird lifestyle. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Because there can be a reign of terror like Ronnie Coleman, where it doesn't matter who comes along, he's just going to kill everybody. And that's possible, right? And then you had a Phil Heath after that, and you had Dorian Yates before that, and but then there's always some times where somebody just pops up out of nowhere, right? Like, like I didn't think Phil was going to progress as fast as he progressed, but he kind of took Jay's place pretty quickly. It wasn't like a long drawn out thing. Like Jay spent most of his years trying to beat Ronnie and then Phil caught him at the tail end. But I bet you had Phil not come along, Jay would have competed a couple more years, but he kind of saw the writing on the wall. I think Phil was young. He was fresh. He had the right look that they wanted. And uh, I think Phil took it from Jay. And that's all I'm saying is sometimes somebody can pop. Like, look at Brandon Curry. Nobody expected Brandon Curry to be Mr. Olympia. Two years go by, Brandon Curry is now Mr. Olympia. Brandon Curry was placing eighth, tenth, whatever. He was getting killed by the guys he beat this year. 
couple of years ago. And shit, I could even say that I might have been able to beat him three or four years ago. Now, he blew by everybody. Just kind of walked on by, put on a ton of size, did his homework. Those kind of things can happen. Now, the next five to ten years is going to be even more interesting because who knows who comes back and who doesn't. You have Kai who's still walking around at 300 pounds lean. You have Phil who still looks like a house. You have Rami who's still young, not young, but younger, and he's still like in his prime. And if he comes in shape, could destroy everybody. Um, it's really interesting. It's really, and then you have Brandon who's still progressing. He's still not, he's not past his prime. He's still in his prime. So Brandon puts on five more pounds this year in the right places. Maybe the people's, you know, some of the people are, are a little disrespectful in their comments towards Brandon, which I don't think is really fair because if you're the best in the world, you're the best in the world. And I think he beat everybody he needed to beat to be Mr. Olympia. And people keep saying, well, when this guy comes back, when that guy comes back, I've even said it. But if you sit and think about it, you're like, okay, well, he's put on a significant amount of size last year and the year before. If he does that again, what's he going to look like next year? Especially if he doesn't do the Arnold or anything like that. Just a whole year to just go to Kuwait and crush it and put on a ton of size. What is that guy going to look like? If he keeps that waist in check, and puts another five or 10 pounds of muscle on his, on his legs and on his, I don't know what else, where, where else he needs it on his more, more back. Then you're like, okay, now we're, we're in, we're in Dorian Yates territory. And then Dorian Yates can't say he's sixth place at, in my era. Cause which is nonsense anyway, but it, it, it's going to be a dramatic scene. It's going to be a dramatic thing to see if Brandon Curry puts on the same amount of muscle he's put on the last two years again, one more time, everyone is just going to look and go, I'm sorry. I ever doubted you. And if I was Brandon, I would want to hear that from people. I would want to go on people's shows that said, ah, it's a once in a lifetime or it's a one timer or whatever. I would want to go on that guy's show and say, I think I just proved you wrong. And I think that's what Brandon's out looking, you know, even though Brandon seems like a, a calm, collected person, I don't know any bodybuilder that wouldn't be hearing those comments and thinking, okay, well, I'll show you guys next year again. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of off on a tangent, but the next five to 10 years could be extremely interesting in bodybuilding. And uh, I, I'm always a fan of the sport, man. You know, people say, oh, it's boring. It's dying, whatever. I don't care. Even when Ronnie was on his eighth Olympia, I was like, this is the greatest shit ever. So the true hardcore fans are going to be there no matter what. And the Olympia is going to be exciting for years to come because there's a lot of jostling for position right now. Bay seven says my dream is being a pro bodybuilder and I'm training for two years and I'm 18. Can I start taking gear or not? Because I'm a, but, but I'm just obsessed with bodybuilding. Um, I'm not going to tell you when you should take gear, what you shouldn't take, when you shouldn't take gear. That's not my place. That's your decision. I'll tell you this though, if I had a son who wanted to bodybuild and he was 18, I'd tell him to wait to start anything until he was fully grown. At 18, your hormones, at 18, your hormone levels are through the roof anyway. You would just be blunting your own production for no reason, just to add synthetic. Like if... At 18 years old, you're producing a maximum amount of maximum amount of testosterone. You're horny as fuck. You, all you want to do is train. Your body just wants to grow. It's your body is in essentially a growing phase. And you start taking steroids, you're just going to blunt that process. You're going to blunt your body's natural inclination to grow and get huge. And there's no point. What I would do is wait till your body wait until your body has stopped growing, or wait till your body has reached its kind of point where it's not just growing like a weed anymore and then add what you need to add. But I don't think 18 is a good idea, man, personally. And one more thing about that. You guys want to take steroids. I'm not going to sit here and say, don't do this and don't do that. Cause I can't, you know, it'd be hypocritical. What I can tell, what I can tell you guys from 20 years of experience is it's a lot more complex than you think. It is rocket science. It's not fucking it's not something to play with and you can hurt yourself pretty badly. 
as you've seen a few other people have done to themselves and a lot of people you don't know about. I'm pretty forthright with my health, um, whether my blood work is good or bad. I don't, I don't give exact details, but you guys know, like I'm off right now because I'm cleaning up blood work and I'm lowering blood pressure and things like that. So you guys have to remember, this isn't a fucking game. Like you may think it's a game now because you're 18, but this is something you can easily get hooked on. And I don't mean psychologically because you don't get hooked on steroids psychologically, but or physio or physiologically, but you get addicted to the lifestyle. You start lifting, you start fucking growing, you start competing and you start winning shows. You're like, I'm going to do this shit forever. It fucking feels great. And I don't blame you. All I'm saying is do all your research first. Just, just do yourself one favor. Find out what each drug does. Not from some gym bro. Go online, research each ingredient, find out exactly what it does. Find out exactly what the side effects are and the maximum doses, the minimum doses. Read everything you can about everything you want to do before you do it. And then let your body finish growing. And then you decide from there when you're ready to or not. Aruda8 says, do you think it's okay to bulk even if you're at a higher body fat to put on some muscle? Depends what you're talking about. It's a very, it's a very vague question. If your body fat level is, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't like to get too fat. I don't like to put on too much fat in off season. Like I always talk about bulking and I love bulking in the set, but I try not to get over 12 or 13%, which to me feels chubby. To most people it may feel chubby and that's for a guy women it's going to be higher obviously but for men 12 or 13 percent is kind of kind of you know you're just kind of getting chubby so if you're higher than that i would cut a little bit of that fat out you know go on a very like uh go on a deficit diet but not like a high deficit just a little just a little bit of deficit and just keep training and let your body kind of like eat away at that fat and then when it's gone then you can go on a, you know, change that deficit to a little bit of a surplus. But that's what I would do. You don't want to go on a crash diet where you, you go into a, like a, a thousand calorie deficit because now you're going to start burning away some of the muscle you have. It's going to be even harder to lose weight. Just go like 100 or 200 calories under your, under your basal metabolic rate. Burn as much fat as you can that way until you get to like the 10 to 12, 13% body fat. And then you can go back into a surplus where you're 100, 200, 300 calories above your basal metabolic rate. Uh, Vicent uh, Japarin, I don't know. Sorry, guys. Can you tell us your current working split? My work my split changes all the time. It's dependent on what I'm trying to focus on. Right now, I'm trying to focus on recovery, to be honest with you. So what I've done is it's actually a friend of mine, uh, Dorian Hamilton, who's a successful coach who has put me onto this split, which kind of made sense to me because what he does is group the three hardest days together. So I got back, chest, legs, all back to back. Then I have a day off and then I have shoulders and arms. Okay. And then I have another day off. So it's three on one off, two on one off. But the key to the split from what I gather is your heaviest, heaviest days are all together. So you're beating the shit out of your body for three days with back training, chest training, and then leg training. But the other two days are kind of easy. Shoulders and arms are kind of easy. So you're really giving yourself two full days off and two active. Shoulders and arms are so easy, I almost call them active rest days. So it's kind of, kind of split, it kind of makes sense. You're torturing your body three days a week, but you're giving your body four days of a pretty nice rest. So... That's where I'm at now, but it could change. Like next month, it could be totally different depending on what I'm trying to focus on. Morgan Mack says, in your opinion, is trend necessary or the best for pre-contest purposes? Have you always used it pre-contest? Would other drugs like Mastron Primo suffice? Dosage for trend at pre-contest. I realize this is pretty specific. So if you bypass it, no worries. No, I'll just talk about myself. I'm not going to recommend any doses. Myself, I never did trend in the beginning of my career. I used to do Anadrol. Anadrol was my strength drug. I didn't do it when I was dieting, and I didn't do trend when I was dieting. I just did Anadrol. 
and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, when I got into my contest cycle or my contest cycles, I would drop in a draw maybe eight weeks out. I know a lot of people use it at the end. I didn't. I would usually drop it eight weeks out and go from there. But I didn't put trend in either. And then around, I don't know, eight to ten years into my career, I just couldn't take an draw anymore. It was messing with my appetite. I couldn't eat anything. And there's no no there's no it's not smart to just take a bunch of gear if you can't eat. The eating is the part that drives everything. So I talked to my coach at the time and I won't mention any names, but I was like, I can't, I can't fucking eat. Like I could eat one meal a day and be totally happy. Like it's, that's how bad my appetite was. So he said, it's gotta be the Anadrol once you try and drop it. So I dropped the Anadrol within four days. I think I was starving. So I'm like, okay, so we figured out the problem, but now what's the solution? Because I wanted to add a strength drug in my stack. This was still early in my contest prep. So he said, let's add some trend. So we added the trend E and we did that from like 11 weeks to like eight weeks. And then I was progressing so well that we left it in. And the highest, I'll tell you this, the, the doses always change depending on how, the, how your progress is. But the highest I've gone on trend is 600 milligrams a week. And that's trend E. Usually if I'm doing trend A, it's 300 milligrams a week. And it's just what I've always done. I don't think I ever need any more than that. Actually, if I go back and think about it, I think six was too much because it usually fucks with my sleep. It makes me really anxious. It like, I get a lot of like shitty side effects that you can't really see. They're kind of more stuff you can feel. So, um, yeah, but that's when I started and that was the dose and that's kind of how I did it. And I don't think, what were your other question? Oh, would master on a primo suffice? Uh, I'm not a big Primo fan, uh, pre-contest, because it just depends on how real the Primo you get is. Uh, for me, if I didn't wasn't going to take Trend, my go-tos would be uh, Winstrol and Mastron. Mastron uh, Ace. Oh, sorry, Mastron Propanate and, um, and uh, Liquid Winstrol. Those would be my two go-tos if, um, if we're talking about, like, cutting drugs. Anton Johnson, 93, says, will your brand use a non-STEM pre-workout, a STEM, or both? We actually decided to have both. And the last couple of days, I've been stacking both together. I've been stacking the pre-workout with the pump products together. And the workouts have, like, honestly, I know I know, I have to say, you think I have to say this, but I don't. At first, I took it, and I thought, ah, it's not going to do anything. It, the pump is, without being an idiot, the pump is absolutely nuts. Okay. It's like, but that's not, I got to be honest. That's not how we formulate them. We didn't formulate them to put together. I just like fooling around like that sometimes, but the pre-workout alone is a great standalone product. It's a very, very well-rounded. Uh, it's got a little bit of stim. It's got a little bit of endurance. It's got a little bit of focus. It's got a little bit of, um, pump. It's got a little bit of everything. And I think people are going to be extremely happy with it. Um, the non-stim is also very, very well-rounded. We just took the stim out. We're not heavy stim. We're not going to be a heavy stim company. That's not how I wanted to formulate the products. So our non-pump is just a subtraction of one or two ingredients. It's not a big deal. It's But it's got more pump ingredients than the pre-workout. So it depends what kind of lifter you are. If you're the kind of lifter that just wants a little bit of clarity in your mind and you want to be, you want to feel that like crazy, crazy pump, buy the pump product, okay? And I'm thinking about calling it, this was not my idea, it was my wife's idea, who was my co-partner and my co-CEO. Uh, we're thinking about calling it Bloodshot. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but if you get this far in the video, leave in the comments section your opinion. Uh, I think Bloodshot sounds pretty fucking cool. And any of you companies out there listening, don't fucking steal the name because I said it first here and I will sue your ass. No, I'm just joking. Um, so yeah, so the pump product I'm excited about, the pre-workout I'm excited about, there will be both because I know some people don't want to take any stims. So I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited for everybody to try it. Um, 
Sea Team Captain says, what have you found to be the best way to take off the last bit of fat around your midsection? Diet, more cardio, or ab work? Definitely diet. Definitely diet. When you guys see those pictures in uh, Flex Magazine or, or uh, MD or whatever, or you see those contest photos and the guys are like shredded out of their mind, some people will say, oh, it's drugs. He took DNP or whatever the fuck. I've never taken that, but they say, oh, it melts fat off your body. It also melts muscle, by the way. Um, it's more times than not than I've heard ever in my life, the guys who get really shredded, they just got to a, such a low calorie point that their body started to just shed everything. Now, I'm not saying you guys should go out there and go, well, I normally eat 2,500 calories, and Fuad said I should be on low calories, so I'm just going to go to 1,500, and I'll be shredded. That will not happen like that. It will not work. There are a couple of factors involved on my end that will help me. Using things like growth hormone and testosterone, things like that will help me keep more muscle. So it will allow me to save and be less catabolic than if I was natural. So I can get into low numbers like... 2000 calories, which is low for somebody like me who's almost 300 pounds. And I can, that will, it will still save my muscle. Now, if you're natural and you go to 2000 calories and you weigh 300 pounds, you're probably going to burn some muscle. And it's actually probably going to make you look worse. Now, even if you're on any performance enhancing drugs and you decide, I want to get shredded, I'm going to go from 3000 calories to two. The drugs won't help you. Okay. There's still a science to it. It's got to be a natural progression, like, pardon the pun, but it's got to be a progression of a calorie reduction. It can't just, anytime you do anything drastic in this game, you're not going to get great results. If you, if you drastically go from 3,000 calories to five in an effort to get big, you're going to get fat and watery first. You will get big. You will start to grow. Your body will grow into that weight and all that, but you're going to get fat and watery first. If you're eating 5,000 calories, you're like, I want to get lean. And you go to 3,000 calories, you're going to look like a string bean. Because the first thing that happens, your body's going to use up all the glycogen and be like, holy shit, I'm starving. And it's not just going to start melting fat away. Okay. It's going to start melting glycogen first. It's going to start burning muscle. It's going to start. Okay. So when you're, when I say to you guys, I was on the best way to lose everything, like all the fat on your body is to a super low calories. The asterisk behind that comment is it has to be in progression, in a slow progression. So if you, and this is why we diet for 12 weeks. Look, I can get shredded in four weeks if I want. In four weeks, because I have so much muscle mass, I could cut my calories and start doing a ton of cardio and I can get shredded. The reason we don't is because if I do that, I'm going to lose a ton of muscle in the process. Okay. Because cutting your calories drastically like that and just increasing your output is a definite recipe for losing muscle. So the reason we diet for 12 weeks, 16 weeks, it's not, it's like Reagan. You see Reagan right now, he's prepping for a show. He's dieting for like 20 weeks. He didn't have to die for 20 weeks, but he knew and Dorian Hamilton, his coach knew, and most other coaches know, the longer you can diet somebody and the slower the, pro- the reduction of calories, the more muscle that person will retain. Because you don't want herky jerky diets where your calories are being just dropped so fast or increased so fast. You want a natural reduction, a slow reduction of calories every week, a couple hundred calories every week, hundred calories, 200 calories, depending on what the person needs. And their body will slowly come down without burning muscle. Now, when I say get to low calories, it took me 12 weeks, but I ended up somewhere around like 2000 calories, if not less, which was unbearable but it got off that last layer of skin almost you can call it skin because i was pretty much peeled at that point but it took me from the level of conditioning from you know nine took it to ten by going there but like i said you got to do it you got to go to 26 25 24 2300 calories first and let your body slowly get into that mode Sebastian Contreras, Contreras, tips for growing lagging arms, biceps and triceps and shoulders. It's kind of vague, man. It's like, you're like, how can I get big everywhere? I'll say this for arms, stick to a moderate weight. A lot of times people make the mistake training arms. They, they think it's like 
it's like back it's like your back like they want to go super super heavy and they think that's what makes your arms grow and it's not uh lots of torture makes your arms grow but you can torture arms are the one body part that i believe you can torture thoroughly without having to do low reps like i'm always in the 10 to 15 range it seems to be the best area to put on muscle without risking damage like you can you can you can probably trigger more muscle at six reps with heavier weight. But the problem is you're going to do a lot more damage to your tendons. I feel like the bicep and tricep are such small areas that if I load up a barbell curl with like 225 on it and this bicep tendon is going to take a ton of work. Like I'm going to be in pain here. Eventually I'm going to be in pain here. Or if like you're doing skull crushers with like 150, 200 pounds, your elbows are going to start to go. It's happened to me. Okay the time where my tendon pain got reduced and my arms actually grew was when I reduced the weight and started doing minimum eight reps, but usually 10 to 15. So that's the one tip I can give you there. Um, guys, don't ask me questions like this. Best fat loss program for a person starting up for weight loss. It's such a vague question. It's like saying, what's the best car for, a big guy. I don't know. It's just a random vague. You got to be more specific. I, I I can't tell you a whole program on, on through YouTube. Fortified Momo says, what are some ways to increase appetite? If you have hard, if you have a hard time getting through all your meals, clean up your diet. So the number one way, the number one way to, increase your appetite is to clean up your diet. And that means look at what you're eating. First of all, do you have any junk food? Okay. If you're eating any junk food, you know, processed, a lot of processed foods, heavy processed foods, heavy sugary foods, heavy fatty foods, heavy sodium foods. You know, I saw one guy post a breakfast the other day. He was eating eggs and, and deli turkey, deli meat turkey. And I'm like, that's not turkey. That's nitrates and filler and garbage. It's probably 20% protein. That's not breakfast. Deli meat does not count as meat. Okay, i just tell you guys that now. So if you tell me your diet's clean, but I see that you're eating like a, you know, part of your clean diet is I had a turkey sandwich for meal too, and the turkey was just deli meat turkey. No, that's not going to work, guys. Single ingredient foods, that's the way to go. Clean foods. Um, you got to get rid of all of the junk. That's first and foremost. Second. You can have a really clean diet and still have it set up wrong. If you have a lot of fats in your diet, a lot of peanut butter, a lot of avocados, a lot of uh, olive oil, a lot of even just a lot of ground, a lot of, a lot of red meat, like a lot of ground beef. If your fats are too high, it's going to crush your appetite. It's just going to crush your appetite. Fats are important for growth. I'm not saying they're not important, but you don't need a lot, you know, 10 to 15 grams per meal. If you start increasing that fat number to 15, 20, or if you go to 20, 25, 30 per meal, you're going to see that your appetite will crash after a week. It might feel great for the first week, but then things are just going to take a nosedive. So fat is one culprit. Junk food is another culprit. Salt. Sometimes if you're adding too much salt. You can start to curb your appetite a little bit. Uh, you got to clean up the basic premises. You have to make sure your diet is very pure and set up properly without a ton of fats without without a ton of without without a ton of uh, salts or sugars and then you'll be okay one more thing to look out for though if you have all the other things checked off is fiber a lot of people think well the more fiber the better you got to clean out your body blah 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 but the more fiber the better is not true you can take in so much fiber that it actually like slows everything right down you don't want to do that you want to take a little bit of fiber per meal so things keep moving through your body if you just take in and that's another thing you want to work up to. If you're not used to eating a lot of fiber and then one day you decide to eat like 10 pieces of fruit, you're going to have a problem. Things are going to slow down. You're not going to, you're going to lose your appetite. You're not going to want to go to the bathroom or you're going to go to the bathroom too much, whichever the case. So you got to be mindful of too much fiber, too much fat, too much salt, too much sugar. You got to eliminate the junk foods. When you get to a plain diet, then you can see, okay, well, how's my appetite on a plain diet? Chicken, rice, steak, fish a little bit of oatmeal, you know, uh, some rice pasta, these types of foods, even a little bit of egg whites and eggs. 
when you're getting in these types of foods and nothing else, then you can see, oh, okay, I feel great actually. My appetite's awesome. Then you can start adding in some other things. Okay, well, I added in, I added in two pieces of fruit and I still feel okay. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. Okay, well, I added in a little more fat and I still feel good. Okay, I can keep going. But you have to find a baseline where your body is happy. So you have to find the spot where like your body's happy. Like, okay, six ounces of meat per meal and I eat 150 grams of carbs, whether it be from rice or potato or whatever. And I eat 10 grams of fat per meal. When I eat that formula, I feel amazing. I feel hungry. I'm ready for my next meal. It's like my body's performing properly. Okay. So when I have that formula, now I can say, okay, well, what would happen if I bump it from 150 grams of carbs to 200, leave everything else the same. Oh shit. My workouts are better. I feel awesome. I feel bigger. Okay. Well, what's going to happen then if I add another five grams of fat and this is the game you play and eventually you'll add something too much and you'll notice your appetite slow down. You're like, Oh, I went from 10 grams to 20 grams of fat. When I went to 20, all of a sudden my, my appetite slowed down. That's how we figure these things out. It's basically, there's, look, there's hard and fast rules you can read in a book and there's ways of just trial and error. And sometimes you put them together. I'll go learn something and I'll try it. If it doesn't work, I throw that out and I try a new thing. So learn where your baseline is. That's the premise of what I'm trying to say. Learn where your baseline is and your baseline meaning where you're hungry, you're performing well, you're getting all your food down and you feel good. That's your baseline. When you get there, then you can start adding different things to see what's making you better or worse. Stephen Samley says, can you have your wife on the podcast? If so, can you please discuss more about relationships and bodybuilding? Thanks. Um, I can't have my wife on the podcast. She's not a, she's not an in front of the camera type of person. She's kind of like, likes to be behind the scenes a little bit, which I like about her. It's not, she doesn't need that kind of attention. Um, but if she ever wants to, I will bring her on, but then she'll tell you guys how shitty of a person I am. So, <laughs> or she'll wrap me out and tell you guys I'm all a softy, which is not good either. Uh, but no, if she wants to come on, she you knows she's always welcome, but she's just not that kind of person. As far as relationships go, I had a, did, I did a podcast, I think podcast number two, if you go back on my YouTube channel, is about relationships and bodybuilding. Kind of covers all the bases I could think of. But if you have something more specific, ask it next time and uh, I'll get into it further. Nate Flex, your videos are very down to earth. Thanks for that. Can you share some of your favorite pre-contest steroid stacks? No, I can't. I can't, I don't share stacks guys. This isn't, look, I want to help you guys, but this isn't a steroid channel. I mean, I like to cover it a little bit. I like to educate people, but, um, it, it's not what this whole channel is about. So I, I'm not, I, I can't go into like stacks and stuff like that. Uh, C claw 1984 says, um, based Based on Chris Tuttle's thoughts, if I work out first thing in the morning, can I do it fasted provided my workouts are 45 minutes long and I eat right after? I personally don't think so. You have to ask Chris if uh, Chris thinks so. But my personal opinion is I, I don't like to train fasted ever. Uh, even when I worked full time and I had to get up at like five in the morning, I would train after work. Or if I was going to train before work, I would at least have like a protein shake and like a banana or something. And I would go to the gym. Like I could, I, I just don't think it's, there are some studies that say I'm wrong. So I'm not going to say my way is the only way or whatever. I just, my personal belief is I want to get something in my body before I train once in a while. It's not the end of the world. I think it's okay. Once in a while, I just don't think it's optimal for growth. Keegan Kayla says CBD thoughts. Um, honestly, I don't know if it's because I haven't taken the right brand, but I haven't noticed any pain relief from just CBD. When you mix it with a little THC, like I, I, sometimes I'll take edibles. Like if, if I'm in pain and I want to sleep and I don't want to take any painkillers, like any Advil or any shit like that, because it's not really good for you, I'll eat an edible. In that case, I think it's great. It kind of kills the pain, puts you to sleep. You sleep really easy. 
Uh, but CBD on its own, I have personally, I have friends who have said they've, they swear by it. So it might be a, I haven't tried the right brand or something. I don't know, but uh, I haven't noticed anything personally from just CBD by itself. I was supposed to be getting a, a CBD vape pen though, that apparently works great. So if I get that, I'll let you guys know. Uh, Jason D. Baker says, at your best, where do you think you would have placed in this year's Mr. Olympia? <laughs> at my very best? I don't want to say because it would probably sound really arrogant. So, you know, the shows, the funny thing is about the 90s and the the 90s debate and the now debate and all this shit. None of the debates matter. Because I'm telling you guys one thing that you guys are, I know you guys aren't going to really get. Some of you will, but some of you just aren't going to understand. Until you stand two people next to each other on stage, you cannot know. Because there's, in pictures, there's a, like a lighting difference and there's an angle difference and there's who the guy who took the picture was different and like, who knows what the lens he used was. And who, it's just so many variables. That's why I get triggered by the nineties, the nineties debate, because I'm like, I know those guys were smaller. I know like Kevin Lavroni at his best is like two thirty eight. So I know those guys are giving up a lot of size and maybe, maybe more size isn't better, but I'd be very curious to see what, I just, I just don't think it's fair to compare conditioning or size or anything unless you stood them next to each other. And I think someone like, I think someone like Dorian Yates especially should know that you have to stand next to the person to really understand how big they are, how round they are, what they look like, what their conditioning is like. So that's why I always say like, or that's why I've been thinking lately that you can't say where Brandon Curry fits because you haven't stood him next to Phil. You haven't stood him next to Sean. You haven't stood him next to anybody from the nineties all you can say is Brandon Curry won and he's the best in the world. And as far as I go, I don't know where I would have been. I, I don't, I don't like to play that game. I would have, I would have, I would have been in shape. I'll tell you that. And where that would have put me, I don't know, but I would have been in shape. Rich homie, Bill 43 says, what music do you listen to while training? Uh, I already went over this with Luke. I didn't go through too many, too many in the list, but I listen to everything, man. Like, ooh, uh, Disturbed, Metallica, Jay-Z, uh, Tupac. Um, like the list just goes on. Um, Perfect Circle, Tool, um, System of the Down, there, there's just Godsmack. I mean, Rolling Stones. I mean, there's everything in my playlist. There's literally, there's Cardi B in my playlist. Like, there's everything's in my playlist. So, the music that feels good, I listen to it. And, and then when I'm training hard, if I'm really focused in the gym, it's almost background noise. So, I don't focus on the music as much as I focus on the training. And the music just kind of comes in and out. Some of you might understand what I'm talking about. Like you can kind of hear it. And then when you're doing a set, you can't hear shit. You're like in another world. So yeah, but there's just nothing really crazy. It's all pretty popular stuff that I listen to. <clears throat> um, a lot of cycle questions, guys. I don't, I don't, like I said, this is not a, this is a good one. Galen Goodenough says, Fuad, how do you deal with constant feeling of fullness and water retention or bloat during the peak of your off season? My workouts feel great, but for the other 22 to 23 hours, I feel like I just had Thanksgiving dinner and need a nap. <laughs> Welcome to bodybuilding. That is bodybuilding. That is what I was talking about earlier in the podcast when I said, you just when you're trying to break a plateau, when you're trying to grow, if you're really trying to put on a lot of mass, you're nauseous, you're sweaty, you're lazy as fuck because you've been eating all day long. 
this is like, it's part of it, man. And then some people say, oh, you don't have to do that. You can stay leaner. I'm like, yeah, you can, you can, but only the most genetic freaks are going to use that to, to actually get huge. The rest of us, normal people have to use these tactics like overeating and, you know, really going into a high surplus of calories to force our bodies past what they really want to be. Everybody's body has a threshold where it wants to really stop, where it looks best. Like, for example, like my body probably looked best at 240-ish, 245. But they're like, you got to get bigger. So I had to put on like 10 more pounds before I could win a show. I didn't think that was my best look. I thought my best look was 10 pounds lighter. But I had to break that plateau. And to break that plateau, it took a lot of nauseous nights and sleepless nights and a lot of like asking my wife to put my socks on and it's just not fucking comfortable and you're not alone. I always tell people the off season is just as hard as contest time. It just in a different way, contest time, you're starving off season time. You're so bloated. You're like, I wish I'd never had to eat another meal. And that's what it takes when you're really trying to put on the size. That feeling won't go away until you've built such a good base that you just more size is not better. Like for me right now, getting bigger is not better. I have to get, I have to refine my physique. I don't need to get more size. So my off seasons aren't as bloated as in previous years, but when you're coming up and you're trying to put on the muscle and you're trying to put on the mass, two things I will never let anybody tell me any different. You have to eat a fuckload of food and you have to train your fucking ass off with heavy weight. Those are the two things that will live and die with me that I learned from bodybuilding. You cannot anybody I know in bodybuilding that has a significant amount of mass that isn't a genetic freak, like built for that mass had to eat a ton of food to get there. And they had to lift a lot of fucking heavy weight. Okay. So the beauty of bodybuilding is that one hour a day when your whole fucking brain shuts down and you're at the gym and you're going fucking crazy in the 23 hours a day where you were bloated and nauseous and sweating and miserable all led up to that one hour. Whenever you train in the day where you go in and you absolutely fucking lose your mind. And I mean that literally you train to the point where you're not thinking about anything but training. And there's no better feelings, no more powerful feeling in the world. And that feeling to me was worth the other 23 hours of fucking misery because I wanted to feel that complete fucking euphoria in the gym for one hour that I I wouldn't be able to find anywhere else in life. So I may sound crazy, but I'm with you, man. That 23 hours, 23 hours a day of shit really sucks, but I promise you it's worth it when you get to the gym and you break PRs and you're fucking building muscle and you're getting huge and, That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And the struggle for the other 23 hours, that's also what it's all about. Can you fucking handle it? Can you go through those 23 hours of sweating, nauseous, shitty, I can't fuck, I can't do anything, I can barely sleep, I can't put my shoes on. Can you fucking go through that to get to the one hour day where you're the fucking man in the gym because you ate all your meals, did all your shit, and... You did what you had to do so your body was primed and ready to fucking aggressively tear the shit up in the gym. That's the beauty of bodybuilding. It's just, it's the perfect fucking, it's the perfect encapsulation of what life is. 23 hours of shit for one hour of fucking heaven. It's just exactly what life is. So, sorry to go off on a tangent, but... Uh, I am with you and you can keep doing those 23 hours of hell because they will pay off. Jared bear 1990 says, are you still using the waist trainer? Any results or changes of notice? Actually, I had to stop using the waist trainer because it was starting to make my back sore, but I am going to start using it again because I spoke to the girl at, and then her name is at skinny roadie S K I N N Y R O T I. Um, she said that the waist trainer makes your posture actually straighter. And some people end up using muscles in their back that they're not used to using and actually makes them sore. 
I'm not sure if that's the reason, but it sounds reasonable. So I was going to try and give the waist trainer another shot. But in the meantime, I've been doing a lot of uh, TVA work, a lot of vacuums, a lot of vacuum holes, a lot of uh, intense vacuum type breathing and things that would train my stomach to be smaller without using the waist trainer. But I am going to get back to the waist trainer this week. Jeez, I don't know why I'm all stuffed up. It's got to be like that. I've been doing like really hot, hot tub therapy and then jumping into a cold swimming pool. And I think that even though that's really good for your muscle and for your soft tissues, I think it might be making me sick. So I apologize if I'm like breathing weird and a little stuffed up. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll finish this. We'll finish with this question. Meathead Barbell says, do you have two sets of wedding rings for when you're bulking versus in shape? Anything else you have two sets of for this reason? I have two sets of everything except wedding rings. The wedding ring I got, I got a little bit loose so I can get it on the off season. And I just kind of, luckily my wife is pretty cool about it. And she knows I don't wear my wedding ring that often because it pinches my skin when I'm lifting with a bar. And I don't want to ruin, I also don't want to ruin the ring. And since I train every day, I don't want to take it off and put it on and take it off and put it on because I'm just going to lose it. So I really don't wear my wedding ring unless we're going out somewhere and I just, you know, it's that extra piece of jewelry. But, uh, so a wedding ring, I only have one, but everything else I have two of, like I have two different types of underwear. I have two different types of socks. I have two different types of every article of clothing. I have two pairs of my, my, even my cars, like I have the Corvette, I have the truck or the Yukon. And when I'm fat, I don't want to drive the Corvette. Like I barely fit in that thing anyway. So when I'm like full blown off season, it's not comfortable. So yeah, I got two of everything. It's just something I learned a long time ago in bodybuilding that you're just going to have to get used to because if you're doing it right, your weight's usually going to fluctuate at least 30 to 40 pounds. You know what I mean? You need to put 10 pounds of water, 20 pounds of fat, you know, you have glycogen. So you're going to be 30, 40 pounds off contest weight if you're a guy and you're trying to put on a ton of muscle. So there's no way you're going to wear the same pants. And if you do, if you do, they're going to look fucking hilarious because you have these tight ass fucking jeans on, which, you know, nowadays is common and is actually in style. So it's okay. But back in the day, it wasn't. So you'd have to have like two pairs of loose jeans that you could wear. So you didn't look like a fool. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's part of the game. Our bodies fluctuate so much that you have to have two of everything. Uh, I'll take one more here. What's your take on SARMs? Um, well, I just did a podcast with Mike from the research station who thinks SARMs are not even SARMs and there's some random molecular structure that was put together to to sell to people, which could be true. I don't know. I'm not going to say Mike's wrong. Some people said, well, Mike's only saying that because he's he sells drugs and he doesn't have SARMs and I just want to say this. Number one, I don't know what he does for a profession. As far as I know, he's just a consultant and he's helping, helping people get healthy. That's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is if he was, if it's a big if, because I, like I said, I don't know, but if somebody was trying to make money off selling different compounds, why wouldn't he just add that to the list? If he was just trying to make money, wouldn't it make sense that he would just buy SARMs and sell them and add that to his list and convince everybody that they're great, like everybody else. What purpose is it serving him if he's just about making money and selling and all the stuff that you guys are saying? What purpose is it to him to tell people that SARMs are horrible? They're the hottest new thing. He's going to make a boatload of money. If he was just trying to make money, he'd be like, oh yeah, guess what? I have these SARMs. They're amazing. Instead, you have a guy with a little bit of credibility saying, look, guys, these aren't healthy. And a lot of you are attacking him. You're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Why would he, what, what, what reason would he have to lie? That's what I can't figure out. I can't figure out what reason he would have to lie because the guys who are defending SARMs are the guys who work for, have codes, or have made their own SARMs. So they have a dog in the fight. 
Mike has no dog in the fight. And if he wanted to make money off SARMs, he could, just like everybody else. So I tend to, like I said, I don't know if his science is 100% right because I just don't know enough to know. My personal opinion is I tried them a while back. I would say two or three years ago now. A friend of mine mentioned they might be good to use in a bridging cycle or anything just to like kind of bridge you from one to the next. I know a lot of natties use them too. I don't know anything about that. But I tried them in a bridge. I got nothing. And I'm not a placebo guy. If I don't feel it, I don't feel it. I'm not in my head going, oh, yeah, I think I feel big. I think I feel – I just don't feel I – don't, I don't feel shit. That's our hour, guys. But anyway, I'll, I'll just carry on. I don't – if I don't feel it, if I don't notice my weight go up, if I don't notice my strength go up, if I don't notice rounder muscle bellies, if I don't notice better sleep, if I don't notice – if none of the major facets of bodybuilding are being affected in a good way, I'm not going to keep taking it. So I'm not here to tell you they're good or bad. I don't know enough. Um, but my personal experience is I didn't get anything from it. And as far as Mike goes, I'm only defending him because I thought like, look, man, you guys don't understand something. Some of you younger guys don't understand something. It's a long game for some of you. You're going to do this for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You can really do harm to your body. So I feel like the reason I put Mike on the show is not because he's a steroid expert, because there's lots of those guys. There's lots of guys that know tons and tons of those steroids. The reason I picked Mike was because he talks about making yourself more healthy while taking steroids. So he's, his premise is first and foremost important thing from what I gather. I mean, he could be somebody I totally don't know, but from what I gather from what I'm watching on his Instagram is he's trying to teach you to be healthier while using steroids. So I'm like, how much could this hurt? But there's been quite a backlash about it. People saying, well, he's lying about this and he's lying about that. And he's just trying to get you to buy more stuff. That's the other thing I don't understand. If he's, if he is, if he is selling and he is trying to get you to buy more stuff, wouldn't he be about mega dosing and not micro dosing? Like, why would he say take less if he's trying to get you to buy more? That doesn't make sense. It's like the SARMs thing. They just, they don't, the reasons people are getting angry don't make sense. And all I see is a guy on Instagram going, hey, if you took it this way, you could still be huge, but you could also be healthy. And I'm like, There's, that's a great thing to hear. He's not preaching, you're going to don't do it, you're, you're going to die, it's horrible. He's not. He's saying, look, I know you're going to do it, just do it my way, and you'll fucking be healthy in 10 years or 20 years. So that's why I had him on, because I don't give a shit what a person does for a living. If he can help a, a whole generation of bodybuilders say, hey, if I do it this way, I can have more longevity and I can take care of myself a little bit better. I don't have to worry about high blood pressure and bad kidneys and fucking destroying my liver and having diabetes and all and getting destroying my fucking thyroid. Like if somebody said to me, Hey, if so I've had this question asked to me, if you go back to 20 years old and do it all over again, what would you do on the surface? Nothing. I'm totally happy with my career and what I've done on the backside I would have found somebody like Mike because it would make my life easier at this point I could still compete without any worries and just not not have to worry about anything so I'm trying to bring you guys that service that are out there in your 20 your 22 or 25 but I'm trying to bring this to you in hopes that he's right I don't know if he's right science he's talking about I don't know if he's right I'm not a scientist but it doesn't hurt to doesn't hurt to hear it. It doesn't hurt to try it. It doesn't hurt to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll try that for eight weeks. See what happens. And if you try for eight weeks, you don't lose any muscle, or if you gain muscle or you feel better, then you know he's fucking right. But just sitting there blindly going, Well, he's a fucking idiot. That's not how you do it. He's stupid. It's not rocket science. Anybody can do fucking a shot. It's not, it's not, it's not important, like what your blood work or your blood type or the time of day, or he doesn't even know what the fuck he's talking about. It's just ignorant. 
It's just ignorant because there's always somebody who knows more than you do. And if I'm trying to present you guys with, I'm a fucking pro bodybuilder. I've been where you are. And all I'm saying is if you can do it in a way that you never have to worry about anything health wise, why would you discount this person? Just, just listen, just listen and see what it is. Give it a shot. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe, Hey, maybe, maybe, you know what? Everything I listened to made a little bit of sense. Maybe I'll try it and see what happens. And if I gain more muscle because my body is functioning at a perfect level, or if I, at least I don't lose any muscle then I know it's not total bullshit and I can take less now and I haven't lost any muscle. I don't have to take 1500 milligrams or a thousand milligrams or whatever. I can take 500 and I'm still the same fucking size. I believe he's just trying to help. That's why I had them on the, had him on the show. So hopefully some of you guys out there will listen and benefit from it and be healthier but still have your, still live your passion. You know, you can, if, if Mike has found a way to live our passion and be 100% healthy at the same time, that's the Holy grail, right? That's what we're looking for. Hey, now I can be a fucking crazy ass fucking bodybuilder, but I also don't have to worry about side effects. Perfect. That's what we want. So just hear him out, just hear him out, hear what he has to say. And if, if you listen to everything and you think it's complete bullshit, you don't want to try anything, fine. But just, I just think it's wrong to attack people without knowing exactly what you're talking about. So I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. That's uh, RBP num- number nine at part two. And uh, hopefully next week I will get part three. I should just start calling it 10, 11, 12 because these are so long, but. We'll get part three up as soon as we can for you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing to the channel and thanks for all the feedback. Train hard.